This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. And welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And the roller coaster ride the Democrats have been on, formerly known as Build Back Better, their sweeping economic agenda, just took another plunge downward. We want to talk about what it all means for the Democratic agenda, where we go from here. And joining me this week to do that are Lindsay McPherson who covers budget and appropriations and politics for us at CQ Roll Call. Welcome back, Lindsay. Happy to be back, David. <laughs> and uh, Laura Weiss, our tax policy reporter at CQ Roll Call. Thanks for being here, Laura. Hi, thanks for having me. And what a week it's been. It ended with a bombshell that Joe Manchin, the West Virginia Democrat, this pivotal swing vote on the Build Back Better reconciliation agenda, whatever you want to call it, suddenly tells Democrats after months of more negotiating, seemed like hopes were getting building that they could salvage some kind of package. And we just learned that Manchin's telling Democratic leaders, no, he's had second thoughts. Inflation is too high. He doesn't want any tax increases. He doesn't want any climate provisions. He's only willing to do a small health care package uh, to limit prescription drug prices. A major, major setback to the Democratic effort here. Lindsay, you covered this late into the night last night as the news broke. What's going on here? Do we know yet why Manchin did a 180 on this? I mean, we don't totally know why, but he did kind of preview it some on Wednesday after the inflation numbers came out. This consumer price index, we saw that inflation climbed 9.1%, you know, over on an annualized basis in June. So he had expressed concerns to reporters about that. And, you know, he's long had concerns about inflation. That's driven his thoughts on this package the entire time. But he said he was even more concerned and he wanted to do a full scrubbing of everything that might go into reconciliation to make sure it wouldn't further fuel the fire on inflation. You know, when he talked about a scrubbing, it sounded to me like that was going to take some time. But here we are the very next day, and he's apparently scrubbed most everything out of it. Um, and that's the news. And it, his the statement that his spokesperson offered last night basically also talked about inflation. It, that obviously is the primary driver. Does he have other reasons? Maybe, maybe we'll learn more about them. He's supposed to be doing a local radio interview as we were taping this. So he could be expanding upon that now. And we'll, I'm sure hear more from him next week as well, once he's back on the Hill. But I think we can all just understand that he has always had concerns about spending more in an inflationary environment. And now he's whittled that down. The spending that's going to be left in this bill is going to be somewhere in the tens of billions of dollars, maybe 50-ish billion ballpark on a two-year extension of healthcare subsidies called premium tax credits that were in the 2010 healthcare law that Democrats expanded in the 2021 coronavirus relief law. 
And that's the only spending in terms of that cost would add to the deficit in the bill because the prescription drug pricing provisions, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but it was somewhere around 280 some billion that CBO said that that would actually save the government and money allowing Medicare to negotiate prescription drug prices. And of course, backers of this package had tried to argue that this package is not inflationary, right? Because it was paid for, they weren't going to deficit finance it. It was, or at least mostly paid for. And in negotiations with Manchin, much of the new revenue was going to be used to actually reduce the deficit. But that obviously didn't fly with Manchin. He was still concerned that this was inflationary. And you have to think <laughs> that a lot of Democrats have a lot of heartburn this morning waking up to this news as we tape on Friday. I mean, I, they have to think the rug has really been pulled out from under them now after weeks of, of extra negotiating that they're only left with a single little health care piece. It really undercuts much of their economic agenda here. Right. The heartburn definitely started last night, um, particularly among the climate hawks in the Senate that were tweeting calls for Biden to take more power via executive action to do what he can to, you know, further reduce climate impacts on energy and other sources and other things. And, you know, some of them were pretty upset. <laughs> Brian Schatz, who is a big climate hawk, had tweeted about, you know, seeing the news after he got off his flight home to Hawaii and had had a whiskey and he was really upset. And But then he realized, you know, life expletive goes on and he, you know, everyone's kind of in that like, angry, but we have to accept this. We got to do what we can do type of mode. And that's, I think that ultimately this will be debated in the next coming weeks, but ultimately Democrats, I think are going to try to unify around this healthcare package and take what they can get before the elections rather than ceding to nothing because they've lost big chunks of what they wanted to do. And Laura, you're the tax expert here, but I mean, Manchin was negotiating a package that would have raised supposedly about a trillion dollars in new revenue over a decade, big new money. We know he, he really did want to reverse a lot of the Trump tax cuts, right? He was pushing to, to raise those rates at the upper income levels to reverse what he thought was an unfair tax cut back in 2017 when Republicans controlled Congress. He was gung-ho to get that done, uh, and it would have raised some big money to pay for this package this undercuts the whole tax effort, does it not? Yeah, it does. I mean, there are so many taxes that Democrats, you know, spend a lot of time crafting and negotiating that are, you know, out the window right now. And I think, um, you know, one thing we'll see how much this factored into it, I think, as we hear more from Senator Manchin, but, you know, he was really talking about reversing the Trump 2017 tax law raising the corporate individual and capital gains tax rates. And that was impossible because of Senator Sinema, who's been, you know, quieter of late, but who has really made her mark on what was possible for Democrats tax wise in this bill. So a lot of the taxes in there, um, you know, looked really different than what he had talked about and what Democrats had originally wanted to do, you know, but there's a lot in there that won't get done. And, you know, in particular, one thing in there that really puts the administration in a tough spot is the global minimum tax. You know, Democrats wanted to raise taxes on U.S. multinationals foreign earnings to 15 percent and also enact some other provisions to enforce this international deal. You know, that deal had been held up 
in other parts of the world. The EU wasn't going forward, but you know, the US severed its tax treaty with Hungary because they weren't going forward with it. They were blocking it in the EU. And now the US Congress isn't going to deliver either. So, you know, it does put Democrats in a real tough spot there and with their whole tax agenda. Does it look like the whole tax agenda is now out the window? Yeah, I mean, there all these tax increases that were in that bill, you know, they're not things Republicans are willing to do. So reconciliation was the chance to do them. Um, another big one was $80 billion of funding for the IRS. You know, through the appropriations process, we might see the IRS get another modest, you know, increase of some sort. But that was another big priority for a lot of Democrats in the Biden administration that Republicans, you know, vehemently oppose. And, you know, Senate Republicans had really argued, especially last few days, pointing out that a tax that Senator Manchin had agreed to last week, expanding the net investment income tax to pass through business income, they had really argued that would be inflationary. So you saw Senate Republicans as well taking up that argument and really pressing on inflation in terms of tax increases as well, which Democrats were arguing, you know, would have been a huge anti-inflationary piece of this package. And of course, I think we should also say for Republicans, uh, I'm sure they're viewing Manchin as, as their savior this morning uh, for, for undercutting this whole package. Republicans were united in opposing this Build Back Better effort, saying it's just adding fuel to the fire on inflation. And, and Manchin is now coming to their rescue by, by, by stopping the whole thing or virtually the whole thing. So they're elated. Uh, but we should say, though, the, the one piece that remains, Lindsay, is this big effort to let Medicare negotiate with drug manufacturers on the prices of prescription drugs. First of all, that's big cost savings to the government, right? Because it'll cost Medicare less money for all these drug costs. So it's a deficit saver there, which Manchin will like. And it's kind of a big deal. I mean, if they do if they do pass that provision, maybe it's only one provision, but it's a big one for Democrats because that is a popular provision that a lot of people wanted to see lower drug prices. If that gets done, that is something Democrats can tout on the campaign trail this fall. Yeah, the two remaining pieces are probably the most politically popular in terms of like Democrats have won prior campaigns on a health care message. In 2018, Democrats retook the House saying they were going to lower prescription drug costs. So if they actually finally do it, that could give them a boost in some of these swing districts, House districts in November. It might might not be enough, but it certainly is something they all think would help. And in terms of the ACA, the um, health care insurance subsidies and extending those for two years, they really wanted to do that politically um, and pass it before August because premium increases, you know, notices from states are going to go out in mid-August and into September. And, you know, wanting Americans to know that they have this additional help to help cover those health ex- rising health care costs um, is going to be big. And they were worried that if they didn't get that done, um, and because there was some question up until this news yesterday, and I, I think that's what's getting lost in all this is what the one thing Manchin did agree to. He had not prior, previously committed to the healthcare subsidies, extending them. He was open to it, but hadn't committed yet. Is that is a big deal to avoid 
big premium increase notices without any relief from Congress prior to the midterms. They were worried that would have really hurt their party. So that is a big win for them. I think most Democrats will take those two big healthcare pieces as a win, vote for this package. There might be some, a lot of, you know, begrudging on the climate stuff, the tax stuff, all that over the next few weeks. But in the end, I, I'd be hard pressed to see that they don't get the votes to pass this. But, you know, we'll be covering it all. Um, the one thing I did want to add really briefly on when Laura mentioned the $80 billion on the tax enforcement, I think that is kind of one a piece that needs further examination on why Manchin took that out. Because, I mean, there's no reason to believe that would have been inflationary to give money to the IRS to go after tax cheaters or people who are underpaying underreporting their taxes and stuff. But yeah, the idea was that would actually generate more revenue. Right. Really supportive of that because they had first talked about that in the infrastructure negotiations and they did use some of that as an offset initially. I think it ultimately was dropped, but so he'd long supported that. So it was kind of surprising to see that kind of be knocked out of the measure as well. And Laura, it seems to me one of the things that really hurt this effort in in the closing days here was this push, partly by Manchin, to expand this this net investment income tax, it's called, this kind of surtax that you can explain better than I can. But it would have it would have generated about two hundred billion dollars in more revenue over a decade that that Manchin wanted to use to shore up Medicare which he viewed as a, that would be a popular proposal is to help save Medicare from going bust. But Republicans, I noticed in, in the last week or so, really seized on that proposal and trashed it, saying they were taxing, you know, it's a huge tax increase on business. And that's the last thing we need as we teeter on the verge of recession and soaring inflation. And this will make that worse. How can you support a tax increase? They were beating up on that proposal pretty badly. Do you think that's one of the main factors that might have just done this in now? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's interesting because that provision, you know, in the fall when that was in the much bigger tax package, it wasn't really a top focus of scrutiny. It wasn't the thing getting the most airtime. And I think almost it getting separated out and getting a lot of sunlight on its own um, led to a lot more focused opposition from Republicans um, you know, there are a lot of, you know, groups, for example, that represent the kind of businesses that this tax would be extended to, um, you know, under that provision, really pushing back against it. And so I think, you know, it having some individual time in the spotlight probably wasn't helpful because I think there were always thoughts that, you know, this sort of income it would be applied to pass through businesses. You know, that's a category that, you know, Senator Cinema, for example, has wanted to, you know, protect out of an interest and, in, you know, her beliefs about making sure there's reinvestment in business and, and having some concerns about that and economic growth. So, you know, I think that getting its own time in the spotlight probably wasn't helpful. But, you know, I also think now we're seeing that Senator Manchin is saying no tax increases at all. So I think that's also a bigger take that supersedes, you know, whether or not he might have supported one on its own. Quick um, addition, live update from our uh, colleague Aiden, who listened to the Manchin radio interview that I referenced earlier, said Manchin said he was basically told Schumer he wanted to do the prescription drug and ACC, the healthcare subsidies now and wait until the next inflation report comes out, which would be August 10th, before deciding about the tax and energy pieces. 
So it seems possible that he's leaving the door open that if inflation were to drop, that he would reconsider those. But that would require Democrats then to produce a new reconciliation vehicle if they use this one for the health care, that they could pass new fiscal 2023 budget resolutions, marry them. But that, that that's, that's a whole process. And something tells me the numbers aren't going to drop enough that he'd be interested. But he hasn't closed the door based on his interview. Um, and I just wanted to update our listeners. Now, well, that's interesting. I'm not quite sure what that means and whether that's even doable, because if he's talking about doing this in two pieces, I mean, that gets tricky, right? I mean, I, <laughs> I think he's leaving a crack door open, but the likelihood of the second piece coming together seems low. Yeah. We can analyze that more in the coming weeks. but. <laughs> and I think it's worth just stepping back a minute to realize how far down they've, they've spiraled, really, in terms of the Democratic agenda. When, when Build Back Better first started last year, you had people like Bernie Sanders, you know, the chief progressive advocate, touting as much as $6 trillion that he thought should be spent on this package. It was going to be cradle to grave. It was everything from childcare to preschool to affordable housing to paid leave for workers, for health care, for climate change. I mean, it was everything under the sun folks might remember. And it's gone through so many iterations now, and every time it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. It's been a remarkable, remarkable transition here down to to almost one item, which is the prescription drug pricing. Yes, and extending the insurance subsidies, but that's sort of an effort to preserve the status quo. One new item, which is the, which is the drug pricing, which, which is a big deal, we should say. But but to jettison everything else in this sweeping package that really was the heart of Joe Biden's agenda, it's really everything he ran on in terms of domestic policy. And to see all of that wiped away basically just before the midterms shows what difficult straits they're in and the bind they caused because they're, they're living in an evenly divided Congress in a highly polarized country, a 50-50 Senate, it just wasn't easy to pull it off. And now they're paying the price and they're having to do it in this hostile atmosphere of soaring inflation that Republicans are just going to harp on relentlessly. Whether this package would have hurt inflation more or not, it's, it's out there and they're trying to do it at a time when inflation is downright scary. When you see a figure of 9.1% in June and people are feeling the pain of that, it just made, it just politically, I think, made this, made this so untenable to keep pushing for it, particularly for a guy like Manchin, who represents a Trump state, who obviously is a Democrat, but has to be really concerned about how he's perceived in, in West Virginia. I think it was all those factors combined was just a recipe for disaster for, for what Democrats were trying to do at this point. Speaking of politically untenable, this kind of raises a question about Republicans' politics on this because the things they were railing against, you know, all the things we talked about, the tax increases, um, a lot of spending that was inflationary, this is so narrow now. Is it going to be politically tenable for them to, you know, oppose a smaller bill that doesn't spend a lot of money, a little bit on the subsidies, and actually would lower a lot of costs by lowering prescription drug costs. They don't agree with that policy, but it's a lot harder for them to defend and attack in the way they have other parts of this bill. 
And then one thing I, I don't know how much time we have to get into this, but I know we wanted to talk about is the chips bill, the manufacturer semiconductor manufacturing subsidies and other things in this big competition bill. McConnell had threatened basically saying there's not going to be a big broad conference agreement on that so long as Dems are pursuing reconciliation. Obviously, they are still pursuing it, but a much narrower version does his position on that change. You know, we reported yesterday as well that Schumer is talking about a kind of chips plus bill where they have those $52 billion in semiconductor manufacturing grants as well as some tax credits that Laura can explain a little better in a more narrow competition bill that they can get done before August. Um, and so we weren't sure yet whether McConnell was going to be on board with that. And does this reconciliation news kind of change his and Republicans posturing on this and make that easier to get done? It all remains to be seen, but it's definitely worth talking out. And I think one note, as Lindsay mentioned, those semiconductor tax credits, you know, there are a couple of very minor in the scheme of things pieces that were in Democrats' reconciliation bill that there may be another way to get done. And one of those things is there was a version of semiconductor tax credits in the big uh, clean energy package that was part of that you know, reconciliation bill, um, the latest Senate finance version. But now there is another way to move um, other semiconductor tax credits. And that could be through um, you know, this sort of chips plus bill. Um, it would basically be tax credits that offset the costs of, you know, buying and constructing factories and equipment to build semi make semiconductors here in the US. So um, that is a you know way to get that potentially done. And then um, you also have Democrats had tucked a provision into reconciliation that would have pushed off a switch that makes R&D expensing um, the way that's done less generous to companies. And uh, there's really broad bipartisan support for you know subsidizing research and development. And so um, that's something that may be able to get done at the end of the year. And all of this, these developments, and if the clean energy tax credits, you know, don't get done in some sort of kind of second try that seems tough, um, this all really does push toward a year-end tax bill because there's going to be clean energy incentives that expire are expiring. So, um, you know, this does, I think, even build more momentum for a bipartisan tax bill in the lame duck. And that is a good point on the chips bill, because that is the other big piece that Biden really does want and the Democrats have been pushing hard for and that, that had a lot of bipartisan support early on, really the last two years. And the administration was pressing it hard even this week, saying that all these semiconductor companies are making investment decisions to to build more plants, and they're going to go overseas unless we provide them these U.S. subsidies. There's $52 billion in new money on the table there in that bill. That's some big change for them. And and the irony of the collapse or semi-collapse of Build Back Better is it may have just improved the odds of getting the this chips money passed, right? Because McConnell was trying to hold up that chips bill while Build Back Better is going on. Now that if, if Republicans now know because of Manchin that Build Back Better isn't really going to happen anymore, that may in fact give Republicans the reassurance they need to get back on board with chips. 
that may improve the odds here of seeing that. Well, yeah, but it is going to happen just more narrowly. And I think one of the things this will test is Democrats, when McConnell first took that position, said he was kind of trying to cover for pharmaceutical companies and like his opposition to the prescription drug thing. So we'll see if he continues to hold that stance that kind of proves that argument true, since that's the gist of what's left. And if he drops it, then maybe that argument was not the real reason he was taking that stance to begin with. We'll find out. Yeah. But Chuck Schumer, the Democratic leader, did say they're going to push ahead this coming week with a CHIPS bill. Exactly what's going to be in it, we don't yet know. It's definitely going to include the $52 billion in grant money. We know that. What else might be attached to it, we still don't know. But they plan to pursue that this coming week, which shows that they're determined to get that through pretty soon here. Right. There's a large part of the broader conference committee process that had been closed out, the entire Commerce Committee title, things like various research. Yeah, it was a big complex bill dealing with a lot of policy concerns, research and development, and all all kinds of science investments and authorizations that that were swept up as part of this whole CHIPS bill. It was broader than just semiconductors, really. Uh, but the new money in the bill was for semiconductors. That's That's where the actual funding was. The rest of it is, is important to a lot of people, but that's not where the where the money is. One thing we do know is trade has the trade provisions in the Senate and House versions has been caused a lot of gridlock in the conference. Uh, so not ex- wouldn't expect trade to make it in there at all. That's like a clear division there. So to wrap things up, though, we know we, we know we're going to see the chips bill coming soon. What's the timeline for getting any sort of health package slash build back better reconciliation. Where do we think we go from here? I mean, do Democrats just accept Manchin's dictate now and confine it to a health package and push it through before the August recess? Certainly seems the plan is to pass it before August recess because the health subsidies need to be done before the premium notices go out in terms of Democrats' mind. But the big question on exact timing is the whole birdbath process. You have to go through the parliamentarian to do budget reconciliation. This is, you know, a privileged bill that they can pass with a simple majority and avoid a Republican filibuster, but they ha- it has to be scrubbed by the parliamentarian. She does have this text of the prescription drug pricing language, has had it for a week, week and a half now. They have not started as of a few days ago, the formal birdbath like presentations where b- Republicans and Democrats will both present their arguments on whether these provisions meet the muster bird. Democrats will obviously argue that it does. The Republicans might have some arguments about why the prescription drug language does not. That'll be hashed out and then the parliamentarian will have to decide what fits. And so this could get narrowed some from what has been proposed. The ACA subsidies, they already did through reconciliation in the 2021 law ex- that expanded those. So those should be birdable. There shouldn't be any issues there. Um, but it still has to be scrubbed and read by the parliamentarian and all that. So that could take probably a few weeks. So we're talking about probably either most likely floor action, probably not before that first week of August, which the Senate was scheduled to be in um, for. And then the House was scheduled to be out at the end of July, but they could always come back, obviously, to pass. It still seems like a tight de- deadline to get it done by before the August recess, unless, of course, they extend their session uh, and shorten the recess. We'll have to see. Oh, well, yeah. They're certainly willing to do that for this, I'm sure. Well, a lot to chew on there, but, but that's all we have for today. Uh, we will be covering this 
in-depth as always. It's on CQ and CQ.com and RollCall.com. You can find all the details of, of the latest maneuverings on these both of these of these packages. But that's all we can do for now. Laura, Lindsay, thank you both for being here. Thanks so much for having us, David. Yeah, thanks, David. And we'll be back next week. <laughs>